Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for, for what that has accomplished all through history and what it has accomplished in each of our, our lives here tonight, collectively. Father, we come to you on this evening, this holy Sabbath. We ask you, Father, that as we open your word, that your spirit will do what no man can do. Father, I pray, pray that you would use me as you can. And I pray that you would reach each heart with each need in the way that each one needs tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, me, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. We're talking about cross-training this whole, this whole week, this week, week and weekend. And that means we want to be trained by the cross. Is that correct? It also means this, though. To train on something is to fix your eyes on it. And so to be trained by the cross requires us to do, do something, and that is to train our eyes on the cross of Calvary. To look and live. And as we do that, we will be trained. In the Gospel of Mark, I want to follow a series of encounters that Jesus had with his disciples as he unfolded to them the message of the cross. In his day when Jesus was... Working with his disciples, he had a problem, and that is he knew the cross was coming. And starting in Mark 8, probably picks up somewhere six months, maybe a year before the cross. And their expectations, what was their expectations for Messiah? That he was going to deliver them from the Romans, right? That he was going to come and he was going to answer their problems, their physical problems of their, the Roman oppression that was there. And they, were, they had an idea of what Messiah was going to do. And, and it did not involve the cross. And somehow he had to prepare them. So he prepares them. And he starts in Mark chapter 8 with that. And a matter of fact, three times Jesus will tell his disciples about the cross. Three times he'll tell them the cross is coming. This is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. And each time he does, he's faced with, with opposition, either direct opposition to the event itself or opposition to the message that the cross had. And the message that then after the opposition, he would, he would set them aside and gather them together and he would teach them, this is what the cross is. This is the message of the cross. And if I asked you tonight, and, and you would all, I'd say, what is the message of the cross? You would all have an amazing answer. Because I know the cross has impacted your lives. What's interesting is what Jesus actually spends the last six months to a year trying to tell his disciples. What is it about the cross that they need to know? Mark chapter 8, let's pick it up there. Three times again he would tell them that he was going to the cross. He would tell them about his experience, right? Then he would ha be faced with some type of opposition that it would almost be 
Well, we can say he faced the Antichrist. He would face that which was opposed to it. And then he would teach them about his cross. So keep that in mind. He would tell them what was coming. He would face the Antichrist. And then he would tell them the message of the cross. So starting in Mark chapter 8. And I'm going to start with verse 27. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Before Jesus tells them about the cross, he tells them who is going to the cross. They need to know. And he asks them, starting in verse 27, Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. On the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? His ministry was around the Sea of Galilee. Much was there. A lot of his followers, he takes his disciples out. Caesarea Philippi is 20, 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Takes them away on a, a CME mission, as it, as it was, to do some special instruction and to bring something home to them. And he asked them the question, who do men say that I am? And, and they said, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, other prophets. They saw Jesus primarily, they saw him as a prophet. Were they right? I mean, a prophet receives his message from God and gives it to men. Did Jesus receive his message from God and give it to men? So in that sense, they were right. But he was much, 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 much more than a prophet. And he needed to make sure they knew that because who was going to the cross was extremely important. So then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And that's the question for us tonight as well. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Have you ever been asked a question in Sabbath school and the teacher asked a question and you confidently gave the answer? And it was wrong. How do you feel? You feel like slipping under the pew and, I mean, maybe it it's, wasn't what the teacher was looking for. This wasn't the case for Peter. When you are in Sabbath school and you get the right answer, how do you feel? And Peter got the right answer and probably was feeling a bit proud of having the right answer, able to articulate those words. And Jesus, Jesus says to him in the Matthew's account, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. God gave him and revealed it to him. It was not possible within humans humans thinking to see Jesus in that way. It was only by the revelation of the Spirit of God, by the Father in his heart. And then they knew who was going to the cross. So then it says in verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. And the chief priests and scribes and be killed and three days again rise again. He taught them of the cross. The cross was coming. The cross was coming. And Peter's reaction, you know it, he took him aside. He rebuked him. Far be it from you, Lord, that this should be. 
This wasn't the first time Jesus was, where it was tried to turn Jesus from his cross. Jesus recognized these words, although different, but similar, when he was tempted in the wilderness. If you would but bow down to me, then I will give you this world that you've come to save. Some way around the cross. And it wouldn't be the last time he would hear it, for when he was on the cross himself, he heard the words, if you are the Son of God, bring yourself down. Save yourself. And what they they didn't realize, those that said that, is because he was the Son of God, he could not and would not save himself. He would give himself. That's why Peter's rebuke to Jesus was so... His response was so stinging back to Peter. Not that Peter was Satan, but he was speaking the words of Satan that were the lies from the very beginning. And that is, God himself is not unselfish. Unselfishness does not exist in the heart of God. He's doing something for himself ultimately. And that's why those words were so so potent to Jesus when he heard those because it was an offense to the very heart of God, because God is selfless. God is self-sacrificing. He was that way. Every way he dealt with Lucifer really was only what, an, only what the infinite heart of love could think of. From our perspective, what is the greatest demonstration from the infinite heart of love? Is the cross of Calvary. That's from our perspective. But the infinite heart of love didn't first display that same level there. It displays it in every act that God has done from the very beginning and until the very end. The cross of Calvary is is the the revelation to our dull senses of God's self-sacrificing love. And that that was the lie that... Satan had from the beginning, and so when they came from Peter's words, turn away, there's a different way than the cross. You can do something different, Jesus. You don't have to do it this way. Let's come up with a better plan. Get thee behind me, Satan, for that you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. And then he sat them down, He told them of his cross to come. He faced an anti-cross response. And then he sat them down and taught them the message of the cross. Verse 34, And when he called the people to himself and his disciples also, he said to to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Right there, Jesus tells them the message of the cross. The one that was important that they understand he had months The cross is coming. It happened again. A few months closer, the cross is coming. 
in Mark chapter 9. Between the first time that he would do this and the second time, the transfiguration took place. The manifestation, Peter, James, and John called up to the mountain and the, the, the manifestation of, uh, of them seeing Elijah and Moses there on the mountain with Jesus and hearing, hearing those words, this is my beloved son, hear his voice, hear his words, hear what he's saying, listen to him. Again, reaffirming who it was that was going to the cross. And then starting in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, picking up there, then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. It was the same idea of going out to Caesarea Philippi. Now crowds follow him, but he wants some time with his disciples. He wants to teach them. He did not, anyone, did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them again, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he's killed, he will rise the third day. He told them. And verse 32, they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Let me ask you, why are you afraid to ask a question? Because you are afraid of the answer? Is that what you said? Yes, because we're afraid of the answer, or we don't want to hear the answer. It's not the answer we want to hear. It wasn't the answer they wanted to hear. And so we just won't talk about that. And then in verse 33... He tells them of the cross. What's going to come next? Anti-cross. And then he's going to tell them the message of the cross. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was, on the, uh, was in the house, he asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? And they were quiet and sheepish and didn't want to say, but they kept silent, for on the road they were disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. So now it wasn't direct opposition to the cross, the physical aspect of the cross. They knew they knew better now not to do that. But the message of the cross, their human hearts opposed. And it was still the, the question in their mind was, who was going to be the greatest after what he just taught them? A few months back, anti-cross manifest in the disciple's heart. And he sat down and he called the twelve, verse 35, and was going to now tell them the message of the cross again. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last. Last of all, servant of all. And then it's interesting, he takes a child and set him in their midst, and when he had taken him in his arms, was this a big child or a small child? It's a little child that he could, he could hold. He said in Matthew's account, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you by no means will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's a little child like? 
Trusting. What else? Helpless. Dependent. Innocent. Now this word, how about this word? Insignificant. Now you and I don't think of our children as insignificant and I don't think they thought of their children as insignificant. So let me rephrase it, less significant. You remember when Jesus was teaching and the children, they were bringing the children, the disciples were keeping him away because he had what? More important things to do. And he said, no, 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 suffer the little children to come under me, unto me, for, forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. I wonder when Jesus held that child in his arms, what he was telling the disciples, unless you consider yourself less significant, like you think of little children, and be converted, of such is the kingdom of heaven. You won't see it. We won't see the kingdom of heaven unless we see ourselves less significant than everybody else. And our natural heart doesn't want to see that or feel that because we know our, our natural heart is to reach for something different. There'd be a third time. Now we're just probably a few weeks, three, four, five weeks before the crucifixion. He's on his way to Jerusalem. They have, are, are about to pass through um, Jericho, and uh, there'd be Zacchaeus and blind Bartimaeus. And so that's just about to happen. And then the next thing would be the triumphal entry, and, and, and that was it. And, and he needed to teach them the message of the cross. And so he's going to, again, tell them about his, the physical cross experience that's coming. Get ready. You're not going to expect this. He's going to be met by anti-cross, and he's going to teach them the message of the cross. And the prequel to this, very interestingly, is the rich young ruler. He came, the rich young ruler. What must I do to... Inherit eternal life. The disciples could have answered that question right away, right? To become as a little child. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. He named, he named some commandments. And, and of course, the rich young ruler said, all these I've done. And Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. It's not like he lacked one more thing and then it would all be set. He lacked the one thing. And he said, sell all that you have and give to the poor. You see, his wealth, his significance was wrapped up in his wealth. And he thought himself more significant than others. Maybe he agreed that there was other people that were more significant but, than him, but he saw himself more significant, and therefore to lose his wealth would be to lose his significance. 
And Jesus looked at him in verse 21, and he loved him. He said, told him, one thing thou lackst, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will find treasures in heaven, and come, take up your cross and follow me. He's telling him what he's missing is the principle, the message of the cross, and that he is not willing to relinquish all that he has, all that he holds on to, all that he grasps for, that he finds his significance in. He needs to hold on to that. And the disciples were greatly amazed, and they then asked the question, well, then who could be saved? And with men, the answer is nobody. But with God, all things are possible. Everybody could be saved. And then he tells them the third time, now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem. And he, Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed and notice this time, they followed and they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside and he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed with the chief priests to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him and scourge him and spit on him and, and kill him and the third day he'll rise again. It's interesting, the first time when Jesus told him about the cross, he experienced direct opposition. And many times, the first time we hear the gospel, we experience direct opposition. Or we respond with direct opposition, I should say. And the second time when he, when he shared with them, the Bible says they didn't understand and they were afraid. So now their direct opposition changed to they just didn't have understanding. And they were afraid to ask for that understanding. The second time we're faced with the gospel, sometimes that's what we do. We don't understand and we're afraid to ask. It might not be the answer we want to hear. And the third time when Jesus was going to tell them about his cross, they didn't oppose him directly, and they did understand, but they were afraid. It's because they understood that now they were afraid. It's because they understood that Jesus was leading the way, because they knew that when they went there that he, that he was subject to being, to being killed. You remember when Lazarus, when they went to raise Lazarus to Bethany, they were, should we go and now be killed? Because they knew the opposition that was there. But Jesus tells them about the cross, and here, just weeks before Calvary, there's the anti-cross still. James and John, verse 35, the son of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want to be on your right hand and your left when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said to them, you don't even know what you ask. They were still trying to see who was better, and James and John were trying to get the inside track, or his mother, depending on, was trying to get it for him, depending on which account you read. And when the ten heard it, verse 41, they began to be greatly displeased. I mean, they're trying to get ahead of us. And, and this is... This is weeks. He's been trying to teach them weeks before Jesus is going to be crucified. He's trying to teach them about the cross of Calvary, and they still don't get it. And Jesus calls them to himself after they responded against the cross with their actions and their words. And he says in verse, in verse 42, Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know... T- that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you know why it feels so good when you do those health clinics and you're serving people? Because you're coming close to what he designed for us to be. And the more you do that, the more that becomes the normal way for us. I know it's not natural in my heart. The disciples were hard-pressed to get this message. Their hearts would not embrace it easily, for their hearts naturally resisted the idea for the Messiah and for themselves. But there was at least one. There was one who would get it, that would understand his cross, they would hear the message that he was going to suffer and die and that would embrace the message of the cross. She was one that was considered a great sinner. Seven times over, she had to be delivered by Jesus. And when they had come to this special banquet, this special meal that Simon had organized for Jesus in his honor, because Simon was cured of leprosy by by Jesus. And so Simon the Pharisee put on this dinner for him and invited Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. All the the important people were there and, and in their station. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 3, the Bible says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leopard, he sat at the table. And a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spinknar. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil 
wasted. For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii given the, and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. What a waste. Those that were criticizing her were very concerned of social justice. But they didn't get the response that was the outflow of the message of the cross. She didn't come for attention. She came with this alabaster box of, of oil that's you know, a year's wage. And when she went to, went to buy the oil, this ointment, I imagine the shopkeeper seeing her coming, she said she wanted ointment. He said, here, seeing her station and, and everything, why don't you get this oil? This is very nice. You can afford this. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I need something better. So, he, okay, this will be expensive, though. It's okay. I want the best you have. So he shows her the next, and I can imagine that she, he tells her about the, the intricacies and all the wonderful things and properties of this ointment that she was going to be getting, getting and wanted her to, to smell the aroma of it. And she said, well, that is nice. But I still yet, what is the best that you have? And I can imagine the shopkeeper saying, well, Mary, we, we, do have, we do have this in this special locked away place that I don't usually get this out, but this is meant for a king. This would, this would be way more than you can afford. She said, I'll take a pound. Mary, that's a whole year of, of, of one man's wage. And for a, for a woman in that day to have one year of, of a man's wage would take her how long to have that amount of money? Her entire life. It must have been all that she had. And she bought it. I'll take it. I'm gone. And she goes to the, she goes to the, the feast and doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to make a big thing out of it. And I don't know how she can't imagine that it's, going to be seen, but I think the Holy Spirit set this whole thing up to teach a lesson that would be immortalized forever. And she took the box and she broke it and anointed his head and in the other, other gospels, he, she anointed his feet and with her tears got down and with her hair on the ground washed his feet, and I'm sure it just poured everywhere. She didn't just do a little, the whole thing, because they criticized her. You could have just used a little, Mary. I mean, let's be practical. You could have sold that, and this could have gone, this could have gone to, to help so many, done, funded so many clinics and bought so many dental units, and, but to let it all go on the ground? And Jesus defended her because in that was the illustration of his own sacrifice that he was about to pour out for all of humanity. 
when we do communion quarter by quarter and take part in the juice with the, the, the grape juice, the emblem of his blood. I didn't realize this until I became a church elder and my wife became a deaconess, but afterwards there's a protocol on what you do with what's left over. And I, I kind of, I came from a Catholic background and I was thinking, is this some type of transubstantiation connection? I mean, I, I honestly was thinking, is this, do we really? But despite my lack of understanding and ignorance, I still honored whatever people did with the emblems afterwards out of respect, out of tradition. And it was this last time we had communion two times ago, and I was helping my wife clean up. She's a head deaconess, and, and I was getting the extra juice, and I was putting it, and I knew that the extra juice we take and we pour at the base of a tree, right? And so I had a, a full cup. And so I went out and poured the juice on the ground, and it puddled there in the dirt, and then it soaked in. And my first thought was, what a wit. And I stopped myself as I saw it soak into the ground. I said, if I think pouring the grape juice on the ground is a waste, what do I think when he pours out his blood on my behalf and I'm keeping my alabaster flask to myself? Mary's lesson taught that the sacrifice on Calvary for a whole world would not be considered a waste. For even if none received it, although Jesus knew that would not be the case, he knew many would receive it. But the heart of God would still give in that self-complete, extravagant, self-sacrificing way on Calvary's cross. And my natural heart cannot take it in. How is it in in our hearts tonight. What are we doing with our alabaster box? I know my response very easy is to protect it, to give some, hold back some more. But over and over and over, the appeal of Christ is to give all. He knows because nothing less will bring life to us and this world. 
He knows it for he did it himself. The cross is not just a cross that he said, here, take up a cross, people. It's a cross that he would take up because it's his heart to do so. And it's a cross that he invites you and I to take up because that is salvation to us. Whoever desires to save his life must lose it. As you give thought to what you are doing with your alabaster box tonight, I want to invite you to bow your heads, to close your eyes, and to open your hearts as you listen to the words of this simple song tonight. Father in heaven, you surrendered all. You held nothing back. You poured it all out, all of heaven's alabaster box. You broke in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, our hearts and minds don't take that in very easily. Father, help us to see what our alabaster box, what we're doing with that. Help us, Father, not to hold on to any of it. For such a sacrifice that heaven has made demands such a response that we give all. Father, help us to this end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.